0: Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. I'm Pastor Josh, and I want to thank you for joining me today. I'm so glad to share this time with you. At Valley View Friends Church, we're learning how to live as God's people, concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Or you can look us up on Facebook. I want to encourage you to subscribe to this podcast so you can always get the next episode. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message. C.S. Lewis writes these words. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Hmm, some important words there. Today, we're going to read a parable from Luke chapter 18, verses 19 through 14. It's a story that's often called the Pharisee and the publican or the Pharisee and the tax collector. It's a story of pride versus humility. One person in the story receives righteousness and renewal from God and the other, well, they falsely believe that they produce their own righteousness and they go home in much more danger than they know. I want you to hear this, spiritual renewal happens when the mercy of God meets a humble heart. So, if you're looking for renewal today, humble your heart and let God work. Let's read the text in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, and one, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So, this parable is said in Jerusalem at the temple. This was the heart of the Jewish faith, and where the people went to experience, to truly experience the power of God. During the day, throughout the day, all Jewish men, people really, but men especially, would pray during three designated times, at 9 a.m., at noon, and at 3 p.m. And wherever the Jewish people were they, around the world, they would offer prayer at these times. However, it was thought that if these prayers were offered in the temple, that they would be extra effective. Additionally, uh, prayer in the temple was a public affair, something that everybody would see and witness. That is the setting of these two men, these two characters, and these two prayers that we just read. They're in the temple, they're in a public place, and they are both seeking God, though one more honestly than the other. It's a Pharisee and a tax collector. And we are meant to examine these two characters and ask ourselves which one seems to be holy, which one seems to be righteous, and which one seems to be blessed by God. In other words, which one is is successful and growing in their relationship with God and which one is not? Let's start with the Pharisee. If you ran into a Pharisee on the street, if you were alive in the first century A.D., and you ran into a Pharisee, your eyes would tell you that he has life figured out. He's got it all going for him. Pharisees were among the holiest of all people in Israel. They functioned as the conscience of the people of Israel, calling them to follow God's law. They wanted to please God, and their whole life was built around obeying God's commandments as perfectly as possible. A Pharisee could easily be described by these words, spiritual, devoted, obedient, and good. The tax collector, on the other hand, was among the most loathed of people in Israel. A tax collector got rich by collecting from other people's earnings, and they often would collect more taxes than they were supposed to, and they pocketed the extra. That's how they gained their wealth. They would say, hey, taxes are actually more this year, and they'd get all the extra. They'd use the extra for bribes and to oil the, the wheels of power. They were also seen as traitors to Israel because they weren't collecting taxes for Israel. They were collecting taxes for the Roman occupiers. And because of these things, that they were taking from people's earnings, that they were supporting the occupiers, the Romans, they usually kept company with those who were power-hungry and those who were obsessed with acquiring possessions and those who were obsessed with pleasure. They were sinners. On the surface, the Pharisee would look like a good guy, and the tax collector would look like the bad guy. So knowing that, which one do you think was respected in the community? It would have been the Pharisee. Which one looked spiritual? The Pharisee. Which one was considered an outcast or a sinner? Well, that's the tax collector. And which one needed the forgiveness of God? Both of them. The problem is that only one of them really knows that they need God's forgiveness. And which one in our story experienced the power of God, really had a very real encounter with God? It wasn't the Pharisee. It was the tax collector. The Pharisee goes home confident in his righteousness. He's unaware of the danger that he lives in every day of his self confidence. I have a few more thoughts on the Pharisee, and we all run the risk of being a Pharisee. No one, I, I run into very few people today that say, Hey, I want to be a Pharisee. I run into a lot of people that act like Pharisees. It's a dangerous place to be to be like a Pharisee. Jesus has some very fierce words for Pharisees in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 39 through 44. It's kind of one of those passages we skip over. But here's what he says there It says, Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor. And And everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give a tenth of, give God a tenth of your mint, your rue, and all the other garden herbs you have. But you neglect justice and and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people will walk over without knowing it, meaning they're gonna, you get all your reward now, you're getting recognition here on this earth, you look good now, no one will remember you. In other words... The Pharisees play at holiness, but they miss it entirely. They measure holiness by their efforts, but these efforts only amount to surface level cleanliness. I got three things I really want to focus in on Pharisees today when we look at them. The Pharisees, one, think they've made a really impressive sacrifice. Pharisees tend to believe they've done tremendous things for God. And in in the story we read today, the Pharisee thinks, I've done a great thing for God, and it comes in two forms. First, the Pharisee remarks about how he goes above and beyond following God's law. He says he fasts and he tithes. That's actually the second thing that he says, really, that he, he obeys God's law. And the reality is that when you look at God's law, God only required one fast a year. And the Pharisee says, hey, I fast twice a week. I'm doing better than what you required, God. Also, uh, the Pharisee claims to tithe everything he gets. Now, we should tithe all that we get, but God's law actually the Pharisees tithing things that God's law doesn't necessarily prescribe. We just read the passage in Luke eleven forty two, where Pharisees made a big deal out of tithing the very leaves of the herbs in their gardens. And God says you should do that, but he didn't command it. So, the Pharisees are taking pride and being meticulous in their tithing that they'd have no heart in what they're giving to the Lord. God never asked for them to be this meticulous. It's noble. It's good. But it's not a sacrifice that earns righteousness. That's the important point here. But that's what Pharisees were trying to do. I've done these things, so you should see that I am good. So, the first part of a sacrifice is extraordinary obedience. The second part is avoidance of sinners. The Pharisee, he measures his worthiness to God by uh, a sacrifice of obedience and by separation. But you cannot get life and goodness from your sacrifices. There is no sacrifice that you can make that will bless you with life and righteousness. Be wary of trying to live on the power of your own sacrifices. You can certainly make tremendous sacrifices. You can give up what's yours. You can give up your time. You can give up your money. You can give up your privilege. But there is no sacrifice that you or I or any Pharisee can make that makes us righteous in life and before God. The longer you try to live by the power of your sacrifices, the things you do, the longer you're going to live in bondage and without the blessing of God. And I want to come to the second point about Pharisees, and it kind of also talks about the second half of their sacrifices, is that Pharisees desire recognition for their holiness. This Pharisee in this parable is desperate for recognition. Let's take a moment and look at his prayer, what he actually says to God. So it's there in Luke chapter 18 verses 11 and 12. It says the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people like robbers and evildoers and adulterers or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. What a prayer that is. God, thank you. Well that's a good start. But nothing else in the prayer is about God. The rest of the prayer is the Pharisee praising himself. And in essence, he's praying, thank you, God. Aren't I awesome? You Get the impression that the Pharisee thinks his prayer is some sort of gift to God, that God should feel privileged for, for the Pharisee being in his presence. The entire prayer is about recognition. God, am I n- I'm not like those awful sinners. I'm not like that tax collector. I'm very obedient. God, aren't you proud of me? Aren't I awesome? The Pharisee wants to be recognized. He wants praise for his effort. He prays in the temple in a public time for all to see. But recognition isn't renewal. The third thing about the Pharisee is he tests the the worthiness of others, and then he pushes them away when they don't meet that test. This parable gives us two truths that we really need to take to heart. We cannot make ourselves righteousness, and we should not look down upon others. I like how the New American Standard Bible renders our verse 9. The New American Standard in Luke 18 verse 9 reads like this. It says, Now he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Wow, that translation from the New American Standard Bible captures well the dangerous attitude at work in the Pharisee in this parable. They viewed others with contempt. That word contempt is strong and an attitude to be wary of. Webster Dictionary defines contempt like this. It's an act of despising. The act of viewing or considering or treating as mean, vile, and worthless. To treat someone with disdain or hatred for what is mean or deemed vile. This word is one of the strongest expressions of a mean opinion which the language affords. That's all within Webster Webster's original definition for contempt, despising someone else. This Pharisee was measuring people by obedience to God's law. That was his test. And this Pharisee despised anyone who didn't obey the law just right, and he had contempt for them. This Pharisee is dividing people between those who are obedient and therefore righteous, that's how he's seeing it, and those who are sinners and therefore cannot be touched by what's holy. He's kind of right and he's kind of wrong. We know he's wrong. Think of that Pharisee's prayer. He prayed in the temple during a public time, but we're told that the Pharisee, he stands by himself. This is not humility because uh, he felt that he prayed separate from others because he felt they were beneath him. And I tell you what, this happens today. Beware of holding contempt for those who do not pass whatever test you have for them. The Pharisee, he'd separate himself from that tax collector. But the tax collector sees the dividing line much differently. He says, I'm unworthy of God. The Pharisee says, I'm unworthy of the tax. The tax collector is not worthy of me. The tax collector sees himself as unworthy of God. Those are important distinctions. This Pharisee is in great peril. He values his personal sacrifices too much, and he depends on recognition for those sacrifices too much. And he's written off those who have not made the same sacrifices and who who don't live by the same convictions. This Pharisee is the center of his universe. He is the power behind his life. He is the source of his own holiness. He is the judge of himself and others, and he could not be more wrong. Do not be a Pharisee. It is so easy to step into that place. And let's look at the tax collector. I've already mentioned that the tax collector would be seen as a traitor and a sinner to the rest of the community, and the tax collector is very aware of his sin. He makes no effort to hide his sin, nor does he try to make a sacrifice to earn righteousness. Instead, I want to point out these three things. The tax collector is very humble before God. See, the Pharisee separates himself from those that he deems to be sinners. The tax collector sees the great divide that sin has created between himself and God, and he makes no effort to hide it or to diminish it. Humbleness is honest. The tax collector does not try to strike a bargain with God. He doesn't try to say, I am not really that bad. He's willing to face the truth. That's what his humbleness allows him to do. He faces the truth. It's not how we think it should be or he thinks it should be, but how God has ordained it. And the tax collector is willing to see life that way. The Pharisee, he's busy creating his own reality of holiness and worth. He's setting the rules that he wants to live by. Tax collector, he knows the rules. He knows who God is. He knows the holiness of God. He's willing to humble himself to that truth. Are you trying to set the rules of worth and righteousness, or are you willing to look into the truth about the holiness of God and the sinfulness of humanity? Martin Buber writes these words, we can be redeemed only to the extent to which we see ourselves. It's true that humility is an essential step towards renewal. Second thing about the tax collector, he depends upon God's power. Nothing in the tax collector tax collector's prayer is powered by himself. The prayer is entirely dependent upon God. There is a smallness in the tax collector's prayer, but that smallness lets something amazing happen. So, that smallness is found when it says he stands at a distance from God. That smallness is found when he says he feels unworthy to look up to God. That smallness is found when he beats his chest, showing his remorse. All of his actions show that he knows he is in a small place of life. He's truly sorrowful over his sinful state. And each diminishing step that he takes makes room for the power of God. Renewal will come not by your efforts, but by allowing the power of God to reign in your life. The third thing about the tax collector is that he makes no comparison between himself and the Pharisee. The Pharisee, he's comparing himself to the tax collector. Hey, thank you, God, for not making me like him but the tax collector does not do that he doesn't compare himself to any other person that's entirely how the tax co- the pharisee measures himself he always compares himself with those who are worse comparison is such a dangerous trap and you know what when you compare you often compare yourselves to those who are less to make yourself feel better said look i'm not as bad as those people over there can you believe what they're doing i'm not like them i'm better We can always find someone else who's worse. Do you ever compare yourself against someone who's better? You know, we do that when we want to get sympathy for ourselves. In the world of social media, we compare our posts with others all the time. Who gets more likes? Who looks happier in the photos? Who has the bigger experiences? And Why isn't my life like that? And we do that to get sympathy. To feed the yearning in our hearts. Comparison is a killer and it robs us of joy and it distorts reality. We compare ourselves against each other and this will never produce the truth that you and I need for renewal. Huh. Funny quote or at least funny source, but I think there's some real truth in it for where we should compare ourselves. Bob Ross, the painter, you know, happy little trees and all that. He says this, put light against light and you have nothing. Put dark against dark, and you have nothing. It's the contrast of light and dark to give each other, give the other one meaning. Now, take what you will from that, but I think he's got a point, and I think a lot of people are comparing themselves to others, and when we do that, comparing ourselves to other people, we're comparing dark against dark, and we're not finding truth. We are each sinners, and we can only see the truth by looking to the light, who is Christ. The Pharisee, when he prays in the temple, he's comparing himself to sinners, to dark. Of course, he's going to look amazing, but he's not really seeing truth. The tax collector, he compares himself to the light of God, the holiness of God, and now he knows his need for mercy. So, stop the comparison game, or at least if you're going to do comparison, weigh yourself against God. Then you will know your true state, your true need your true low position in life, and that God can renew you. In the end, Jesus flips our expectations. The super-spiritual Pharisee goes home empty-handed, and the tax collector goes home redeemed and righteous. Now, a little bit more, and then we'll come to a close. As I've read this parable, getting ready to preach this sermon, I've been struck by two words. They're not in the parable, but they're so important. I've talked about one already, renewal. If you're looking for renewal today, you need to be like that tax collector. The other word that's been striking me is revival. Now, today you might be hungering for personal renewal. And it starts by taking a humble posture like the tax collector and depending on God's mercy. But I was also struck by that word revival. And there's a lot of people that look at our world today and say, wow, wouldn't it be great if there was revival? There's so many people who are sinning a lot. They're really struggling. They need to get right with God. And that's true. But as I look at this story, I feel this haunting thought that sometimes when we desire revival, we can be a little like a Pharisee. And that might not be something you like to hear, but I think it's really healthy for us to see this. Revival starts with me, not others. There's nothing more exciting and contagious than seeing a person who is excited or on fire for following God, that they have a life that's transformed by Jesus. When you see someone who has a uh, renewed faith in Jesus, that's contagious. Lots of people want to know what that's like and they want to be like that person. So, if you want revival for someone you love, for the community around you, ask God to do a new work in you first. Revival is not just for others, it's for you and for me. Not only that, but revival moves in the humble heart. When I read this story, the Pharisees, pretty sure of themselves, I know what's really good and true, and it's the tax collector who's moved by God. And he has that humble heart. Each of us needs to see more clearly the holiness of God and our own sinfulness. The better we see this, the better we are able to, admit, to let God take the lead in our own renewal. Last thing I would say is that revival happens when we see that we are all on the same side. It's the Pharisee who divides. Lord, thank you for making me that I'm not like them. And then he puts a wall up between himself and the man standing right next to him in the temple praying. Instead of seeing him as a fellow worshiper, he sees him as a problem. It's not the super spiritual people versus the sinners. Every one of us are in the same boat. And the sooner we see that, the better. Every time you, are, you or I say thank you that I'm not like those people, we get in the way of revival. So, story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Nobody wants to be a Pharisee. Nobody wants to be the judgmental goody two-shoes that's full of pride and self-righteousness. But sometimes we end up being that person. And nobody wants to admit that they're the tax collector, that they are miserable, low, and unworthy. But our ability to be honest, to be humble, is the way that we open the door to letting God's mercy and renewal into our lives. Will you Be humble like that. Will you be like the tax collector in this story? God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. Let's pray. Lord God, help us to see our own sinfulness and our need very clearly. Help us to see it. Help us to depend upon the sacrifice of Jesus alone instead of our efforts. Stop us from comparing ourselves to others and from judging others. Help us to see every person as someone that you desperately want to be in your kingdom. And Lord, let revival start with me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.